Amen. Indeed, he is the Ancient of Days. You may be seated. We're going to come now and see and hear from his word. This God who rules and reigns through time in the eternity past and in time in the eternity future, he is the Ancient of Days. Do you have your Bible? Take it and turn with me to 2 John. That's the second letter of John. These men have come forward. If you don't have an outline, lift your hand. They will be glad to get one to you. Since our folks have joined us online, home folks, I know you have your Bible. I know you have your outline in hand, your pen in hand. Can you please welcome everybody online this morning? We're glad that you're here. Sorry that we were a little delayed in getting you in. Had a little technical difficulty, but that's okay. It's summertime. We're doing good. Um, so thankful. We're in the, second, in the second epistle of John, this beautiful, powerful little letter, just a few verses long. And this morning we come to a message entitled, entitled Can't Say It Enough, Walk in Love. Now here's a question for you. How many of you are parents in this room? How many of you are parents? Lift your hand. Okay, you, you're a parent. You've been a parent somehow. And, or a grandparent as well. Obviously, if you're a grandparent, you're a parent. So when we're teaching our children, there are some things that you repeat over and over and over again, right? And um, there's been some things that we've said in the past that f- famous last words, you know, the kid's going out for his first time in the car by himself. You, he had his restricted license. He finally gets his regular license and through much prayer and intrepidation, you finally send him out into the highways and byways of South Florida, no less. And your famous last words to him are important words. You know, you're saying things like, make sure you have your seatbelt on. You're saying, watch out for the other guy. Watch out, watch out. Um, My dad used to say, Andrew, the world is full of idiots. So the world is full of idiots. (laughs) Watch out. You know, those last words. So last words can be very important. Jesus gave last words. Jesus, as he was ascending to the Father, he said, now go and tell the world who I am. Those were the last words that he gave to us. He said, the Holy Spirit's going to come, but you now are to go and tell what I have done. Those were famous last words. The last words of the Old Testament are very important. Um, When we see last words, that's important. But when we see repeated words, that's really important. As a parent, how many times did you say, look kids, I can't say it enough, and then you went on your diatribe. And it was about cleaning up your room, it was about eating your food, it was about being careful. As they get older, the stakes get higher. You're talking about more serious things. You're now talking about relationships. You're talking about who you're spending time with. And parents don't just say it once. They say it over and over again because it's really important. And those are the things that finally get in there. It's not the things that you typically said once. It's the things that you said over and over and over and over. Those are the things that are most important. Well, the title of this message kind of reflects the, te- the text that we're going to look at. Can't say it enough. And then what is the command? Walk in love. That was very weak. Can't say it enough. What is the command? Walk in love. 
Very good. I think you got it. Let's read the text. Look what it says here in 2 John verses 1, 4 through 6. We're going to read the part that we've already studied, verses 1 through 3. And then we're going to also read the part that last week we studied, verses 4, 5, and 6 with Mr. Spee. And he really beautifully helped us look at the, the, the issue of law versus grace, legalism versus the, the great freedom of the heart. And that's part of what this ta- text really touches on. So I want to walk through it with you before we move on to the next text that we'll see next Sunday. But notice here, let's read it again. Verses 1 through 3 is that beautiful salutation. He says, the elder, that's John, to the elect lady, that's to a church, and look what it says, and her children, what is that? That's the church members. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love, there's that word love, whom I love in the truth, not only I, but also all who know the truth, verse two, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we looked at that issue of forever. We looked at the fact that you have to have forever in view. If you're only looking at this time period through a limited depth of field, you're going to be disappointed with God. You're going to to misunderstand God. You're not going to see what he's doing in the grand scheme of things. Remember as we talked about that, this this is the truth that abides forever. In verse 3, here's the blessings of it. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son. And then here it is, in truth and love. Look at verse 4. I recognize great, excuse me, I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as you were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as those who were, as, as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we, what does it say? Love one another. Verse 6. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you would what? Walk in it. Number one, I want you to notice the emphasis on truth and love. This is, this is John's whole um, letter really is emphasizing this, but he's, I, I want you to see in these two sections of Scripture, truth and love, the salutation, that's verses one through three, ends with this inseparably linked duo. And this duo is truth and love. In fact, in your outline there at the end of verse three, can you put a big circle where it says, around that last phrase where it says, in truth and love. This is an inseparably linked duo. These two things must go together. These two things always go hand in hand. You see, verses one through three, this is on your outline here, verses one through three are unmistakably emphasizing the massive importance of staying in the truth. In fact, look at these verses one through three. Remember with me up there, it's truth, 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 truth. Whenever the Bible repeats something, it's making a point. So the point is truth. 
But now, look at the next statement here. Verses 4 through 6 reveal the fundamental indicator that a church or an individual are in the truth. You know whether or not somebody really has the truth, and it's this, love. If they are truly in the truth, then they are going to be a person of true love. And I don't mean emotions, I don't mean feelings, I don't mean this thing of just running around, oh yeah, love, you know, I mean, 1960s style love, you know, just love, man, peace, love, peace, love, and happy, you know, I'm not talking about these emotional things that, you know, let everybody do whatever they want, just love them and accept them the way they are. You see, that can be a form of hatred. You talk about haters, haters are the people who will not tell you the truth. Haters are the people who let you self-destruct Those are not people who love you, they hate you. The people who love you are the people who guide you toward the truth and call you to live in the truth. That is love. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus didn't come to the earth telling us what we wanted to hear. Jesus didn't come doing what the early Um, Jews in Jerusalem and in the surrounding area of Israel, he didn't come doing what they wanted him to do. In fact, they didn't like a lot of what he said, but what he told them was the truth, and then he eventually revealed to them that he was the truth, and then he laid down his life to show them his what? His love. And so this is what love does. These two things are inseparably linked. They cannot be separated. So look at the next slide here on the screen. I want you to see both of these together. So the first section is all about the emphasis of truth. The next section that we're looking at again this morning, verses four through six, is about love. Now it starts off with a transition verse, helping us move that way, but we see, look what it says there in verse four in front of you. He says, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father, but now I ask you, dear lady, that's talking to the church, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. So this issue of love is incredibly important. In fact, look there in the center of your page there. See 1 John chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, and this was from our study from a few months ago in 1 John when we were in that little letter just before this letter. Look what he says in verse 9. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Look at verse 11. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. We can also look in 1 John and see where he says, those who do not walk in the light walk in the truth deceive themselves, and they themselves deceive others. They are liars. And in fact, it says that they are people who hate God. 
And so this picture of walking in the truth, and that's what the darkness represents here. Fill that in. Remember that when you look at that verse there where it's talking about walking in the darkness means that you're walking without the truth. And that's what the world does. It walks without the truth. And so we, we see that's why the love within the world is growing colder and colder and more selfish and more selfish. You see, notice the starred points here. So if you have the truth, you will walk in love. And if you're not walking in love, you do not have the truth. The second thing I want us to notice this morning very quickly is, look at number two here, notice the brutal honesty. And this is one of the things that I love about God's Word. I love that God is honest with us, and the Bible is honest with us. The Bible is a document from Old Testament to New Testament, doesn't always tell us what we want to hear. In fact, the chosen people of God to bring the Messiah into the world, the Jews, um, when we look at what the Bible tells us about Jewish history, it is not a shiny picture. In fact, one of the things that can speak to you about the validity and the veracity, the believability of the Bible is that it's an honest document. When you look at Syrophoenician history, when you look at Greek history, when you look at uh, all kinds of other uh, histories of major uh, uh, establishments and uh, civilizations around the world, they whitewash their history. They go back and they erase the hieroglyphic. They go back and they change, they stamp out certain aspects of their history. God doesn't do that at all. He reveals all of the failures. He reveals all of the problems, and he diligently preserves it from generation to generation through the millennia so we can know the truth. And here we see that honesty rearing up again. Look what he says in verse 4 as he's talking about this, and this is on your outline here. I rejoice greatly to find, what does it say? some of your children walking in the truth. Can you circle the word some? So some means what? Not all, very good. Some means not all. So there's people in the church that are not walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. So this first bullet point is just because you are in the church does not automatically mean that you are in God's salvation. You can be here and not be with him. Look at the second bullet point. Some people were in this specific church and they were not in Christ. What is the difference here? The difference is that they were not, fill it in, walking in the truth. And so please hear me, everyone hear me in this room. You can attend church Sunday after Sunday, decade after decade, and die without Christ. It is very possible to be here, to be known by us, but not be known by him. And here we see the difference is, are they walking in the truth, and are they walking in love? 
What does it mean to walk in the truth? Okay, so here's how you can judge yourself based upon what God's Word says. What does it mean to walk in the truth? It means coming to know the truth. You can't walk in something that you do not know. And so the first part is that you're coming and learning of God, the knowledge of God, coming to learn who God is. And I put a few things here. The reality of Christ, the reality of who Christ is, the salvation that he offers. And then generally, we can notice here his word. God puts a high value on his people knowing what, they, what he has said. So the question is, do you know the reality of Christ? Do you know the truth of salvation? Max stood here and said, well, I raised my hand as a child. Maybe some of you would say, I filled out a card. Some of you would say, I was baptized. Some of you would say, I saw a bright light. I heard a voice. We, we have all of these experiences that, we, that, that some people may mention, but what he clearly shared with us was he didn't know the plan of God's true salvation. He did not come to deal with God based upon knowing the truth. How about this? To walk in the truth means to believe the truth. Not that you just know what it is, but that you come to believe it. You come to accept it. And I have several verses here that are very, very important. I encourage you to look these up this week. Um, John 3, 15, 5, 24, 19, 35, 20, 31, 1 John 5, 13. All of these are showing the importance of do you believe the truth? Because there's many people who know about the truth, and they may know the truth, but they do not truly believe the truth. How about this one? It means to walk in the truth means that we obey the truth in your daily life, not just on Sunday, that you obey the truth. And again, several passages here where Jesus is saying is that if you don't keep what I've said, if you don't follow my instructions, you do not know me, you do not love me. And so if you've just decided that you're going to live your life with your morality about what's right or wrong in your business or your morality about what, about what you're going to do with your body and who you're going to be with and what you're going to do with them, if you've just decided that you're going to live your life with your set of morals and not God's set of morals, morals let me just say to you, you don't know God. You could be very self deceived But I go to church. Well, that's just heaping up the judgment. Be careful that you know the truth, you believe the truth, you obey the truth, and here's part of the picture of walking in the truth means that, fill it in, it means becoming more like Jesus in the way that you live. You say, well, I can't necessarily walk on water and I can't necessarily <laughs> go up to a fig tree and I, you know, whatever. Listen, he's not called you to do all the spectacular. He did all the spectacular to validate his word and who he was. What he's called you to do something is much greater. And what is much greater than all of the signs and the wonders that he did is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ with your life. You say, well, that's not as fancy. That's not as exciting. Oh, yes, it is. 
What could be more exciting than to be obedient to the heavenly king and to see him use you in the lives of others as you simply become more like Christ in showing people the truth of God? Notice the last one here. It means, what does it mean to walk in the truth? It means showing and speaking Christ's salvation to a lost and broken world. Why? Because that was his last instruction to us. He told us to do this. And so if you're going to walk in the truth, you're going to walk in what he told you to do. So the question is, are you concerned that the people around you are coming to know Jesus? Are you, or do you not care? Do you not care if your family members come to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you not care that the people that God has placed you around in your work life and in the other thing, are you, are you thoughtful and prayerful and are you learning to share with them the gospel of Christ? That's what he's told us to do. Go and tell the world that a savior has died, that a savior has risen again, that they can be free. So this is what it means to walk in the truth. This is what true Christians do. And let me remind us of this, and this is at the bottom of the page, and this is important for us because it has to do with the application and how we can kind of look at a text like this about truth and about love and how do we apply it. Notice this. This is addressed to a church, the lady, that's, that's what we see here, and in fact, and it's also addressed with its church members or her children. I want you to look at the text on the screen that is in front of you. Notice up there in verse one, what is it saying? The elder to the elect lady and her children. Just look at the screen, look at the screen. Look, notice the blue that is there. And then in verse four, he's saying, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, look what he says, what does he say there? Dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new command. I want you to see that these commands are interchangeably between the church corporate and the church individual. This applies to us as a church. We as a church must be a loving people, a loving people who walk in the truth. But you as an individual are called to the same thing. So some of that we play out and we apply as a church. What can our church do um, that is loving to the community? What can our church do that is loving to the world around us as a body and as a group but what can we do as individuals? What are we called to do as individuals? It is both the lady of the church and her children, the individuals of the church. Okay, you've already safely turned your page over. Let's look at page three, or, or number three. Notice the shift, notice the shift to emphasis on the great foundation of walking in love. Now, so now we're shifting from truth to love in the emphasis, and it's interesting how this happens. We see it in verse five. Circle those words, and now, and now. That's a transition. 
It's a trans- transition, and he's saying, so, so he's going from this, this great emphasis of staying in the truth, that now that you are in the truth, you're walking in the truth, I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have heard from the beginning, and here it is, that we walk in love. And this is the foundation of what we see in Christ. You see that line that's under number three there, like walking in the truth, this is a command, not a suggestion. You know, he's not saying, now I ask you, dear lady, to consider the great virtue of walking in the truth. That's not, or walking in love. That's not what he says. He's not asking you to consider it. He's reminding you, he's reminding me that we have been commanded by God to do this. We have been commanded by God to live as a Christian that loves others. Notice this word command, uh, entole, and, or entole, and I, I want you to notice this, it's used four times. Um, go on to the next slide there, guys, and look at this in front of you in verse four um, and five and six. Look what it says. Commanded, commandment, commandment, commandment. When the Bible repeats something, it's doing what? It's emphasizing it. Let's say that again. When the Bible repeats something, it's emphasizing it. Can you say that? When the Bible repeats something, it's emphasizing it. And you know, by the way, let me just say to you, the way we study the Bible, the, what I, the way that we preach the truth of God and teach the Bible in these verses can help you learn to read the Bible correctly. If we will do this here, then when you are at home or when you're at work or when you're on vacation and you're reading the Bible, there's little things, the clues that come into your mind. There's things that that we point out, oh wow, this, you know, over here in um, 1 Kings, he keeps repeating this and repeating this and repeating this, and that means it's important. Or when we see a major transition, or we see a structure of something, we see something that is building up, there are things that we are teaching you here to help you read all of the Bible, because we will never be able to go through all of the Bible at the pace that we do it here. This is designed to help you learn to read the Bible. This is designed to help you learn to understand the Bible. So I want you to see here that when you see something like this, commanded, commandments, 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 it is making the point that this isn't a suggestion. This is a very important instruction from God that is not optional. And so that... that begins to work in our heart. It begins to do something. And notice this with me, what it says there in verse 5, and now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but one that we have had from the beginning. And I want you to see that here, the reality of this. This command is, fill it in, it's nothing new. This command is nothing new, and it is supremely important. It is throughout the Bible. This is a This is a very, very foundational part of what it means to know God. It is found as the basis of all instruction, fill it in, in the Old Testament. 
All of instruction in the Old Testament is based upon this. In fact, notice with me and remember with me Deuteronomy 6.5. The great instruction to God's people is, you shall what? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. You see, this is part of the great Shema. This is part of, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then directly after that it says, you shall love him. You are called to love him. You are commanded to love him. Let's read Deuteronomy 6.5 out loud together. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. If you only leave here today with one thing, I would say that you should leave here today with this calling, this command to love God. Now, we love because he first loved us. And that is the, the central picture of the gospel, but you're called to love God. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, also part of the law, look what it says in verse 19, verse 18. Let's read it out loud together. Leviticus 19, 18 says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Why is he saying I am the Lord at the end of that? <laughs> right out there to the side. I mean it. And I am the one who can command that because I am God. He's saying this is not optional. This is an extreme statement of command. I'm the one telling you to love your neighbor. And what does it say there? To love your neighbor as yourself. Wow. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. What about over in the New Testament? We gain, through Jesus' words, a very, very keen insight on these two commands from Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. And if you're new to studying the Bible with us this morning, maybe you're brand new to all this, all this kind of, you haven't understood much of the Old Testament, New Testament, and everything. This is great because this is central to everything you could read, everything you could study about the Bible. And I really mean that. This is, a, this is a foundational truth right here. In, in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is kind of quartered. They're kind of trying to trap him in, in elevating one law over another law, and that would be blasphemous. And so they say, which law is the most important? And then look what he says in verse 37. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. Verse 38, this is the great and first commandment. Verse 39, it's as if Jesus is saying, you didn't ask for the second greatest one, but I'll give it to you anyway. Here's the second one, verse 39, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Read verse 40 out loud together with me. On these two commandments depend all the law and prophets. You know what's really important to God? That you love him and that you love the people around you. That's really what it all boils down to. This is the great goal of God. 
that we would come to know and to love like he does. You know, we see throughout the scripture, but especially in 1 John and in the Gospel of John, God is love. He defines himself as true love. And again, not your 1960s, whatever, or even in this present day idea of love. Love means whatever you imagine it to be. Love means that you just accept everybody the way they are and you, you love them in their folly. That's, that's a hateful thing to do. What is a loving thing to do is to help people be saved from themselves, as Max said. The greatest problem in his life was himself and his sin. And so what we come to see is that this is a God of love. And when we love him first, then we are able to love others around him, around us. So this is a very, very key foundation, and we see John circling back on it because the church that he's writing to has some problems, and he's seeking to help them. I want you to also notice um, this great foundation of walking in love, that this command, fill it in, this command is not vague or oblique. This command is straightforward, and it's practical. It's straightforward and it's practical. You don't need to say, oh, it must be something in the Greek there. Are we really supposed to love everybody? Yeah, we are. In fact, look what 1 John chapter 3, verse 17 um, and 18, by this we know love. And this is, this is very key. You, you want to know how we figure out what love actually is? Here it is. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, actually, is where I'm starting. By this we know love, that what? He laid down his life for us. That is where love begins. This is where all love begins, available to you, available to me, and possible for me, and possible for you. If, if there's any hope of love, it's that God saves us by laying down, and he is the first one to show us this, the first of importance. He laid down his life for us, and we ought to, what does it say there? We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Verse 17, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed in truth. Now that's not saying you shouldn't tell somebody you love them. But what he's saying here in the way that this is constructed is he's talking about it's not merely in words and in talk, but it's also in action. It's real easy to say, oh yeah, I love you, man, love you. But it's another thing to sacrifice. It's another same thing to give your time, to give your money, to serve, to care for others. This is foundationally important to what God's people are called to do and to be. It is a commandment. That's what John is saying to the early church. He's saying, look, you can't just be carnal and be upset with each other and hold, close up your heart to each other. You know, I've been blown away in the last three years as I have watched this church 
deal with various difficulties. <laughs> In a trivial way, what was the first big crisis of coronavirus? Does anybody remember? First big crisis of coronavirus that got everybody's attention. Say it again. Toilet paper. Toilet paper. <laughs> Do you know, I remember starting to see throughout all of our signal chats and everything else through the communications and the, hey, I got toilet people. How, how many rolls do you need? I got rolls. Anybody got rolls? Yeah, we're out. You know, you, you know we're down to newspaper. You know, and so, you know, we got rolls. We got this. We got that. Okay, so, see, you know, you never, you never thought about how valuable toilet paper was until you couldn't get any. But then it got more serious and more serious and more serious. And before it was all over, I'd get calls at the church office, Pastor, um, I know that such and such family can't pay their mortgage. I want to pay their mortgage. I know that so-and-so just had a car wreck, and I want her to have my car. Pastor, I, I know that this is a real problem for this person. This is a real problem for that person. I want to help. Do you know that we have... In the last two years, we've had one family deeply struggling, and another family got a very significant pay increase, a raise. And that family that got the pay increase went to the other family and said, you can have our pay increase. It's yours. Families with children, families that have needs, families that have college coming that are saying, it's okay, God has blessed us, let us bless you. Friends, it's not just in word, but it is in deed. That's how you know love. David said, I will not give to the Lord that which costs me nothing. For some of you, your tithes and your offerings cost you nothing. There is no sacrifice. For others of you, it is a great sacrifice. I, I just want to say to you, love is seen in sacrifice. That's where we see it. In fact, that's what we just read in 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. He laid down his life for us. That is sacrifice. Right above that verse, right there in the middle of the page, where it says he laid down his life for us. Right above that, sacrifice. Because that's how you know love. Now, I was just thinking about how do we apply this, and I, 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 very, very briefly, I know, it's, I know we're right here near the end. I want you to get this. Number four, how do we apply this? Number four, we must fight to walk in love, and use all capitals, please, right there, F-I-G-H-T, we must fight to walk in love. Why do I say that? Bullet point first one there, we must recognize that all key relationships are under attack. Satan hates relationships. He hates people being together and loving one another. So the first areas of attack 
are on husband and wife. And this is why God would say at the very institution of bringing together a male and a female for marriage, he said, what God has joined together, let not man tear asunder. And that was a bit of a, of a preview of what was going to happen. When we look at how Satan wars against the first relationship from human to human, which is a man and a woman as husband and wife. This represents God, it represents God's design, and Satan hates it. That's why there has been the great attack throughout human history on marriage. And boy, do we see it today. How about parents and children? Satan wants to remove and to take children from their parents. He wants to turn the hearts of parents away from their children. He wants to turn the heart of a father away from his children. Fathers, beware that that is one of Satan's schemes is to make you neglect and ignore and perhaps even hate your children. You must fight against that. Children, be aware that Satan wants you to hate your parents. He wants you to not respect them. He wants you to not honor them. And so sin in our world will show out all of their problems and all of their failures and all of their, uh, all of their weaknesses and cause you to leave them and to hate them instead of honoring them. Watch out for that lie. What about a church family? Satan wants to destroy churches. So he brings in argument and disagreement and different perspectives and all of these issues, whether it's the rich versus the poor or the people who like gray carpet versus the people who like green carpet or whether it's the people who think we ought to use Quicken versus Peachtree or whatever it is. There are all of these different opinions about how to divide a church. Work life. You know the reason it's so hard to get along with people at work? Because Satan's in the middle of that. He's working in their lives. He's working in your life. He's working in the circumstance of that. In fact, when you see great trouble at work, you might be able to just use it as a witness opportunity and say, you see what's happening right here? This is, this is really satanic. This is part of our sin. This is part of a fallen world. This shows us we need a savior. Bring that up in the boardroom when they're fighting and resigning and threatening. What about community? We see it all across the communities of the world today. We see great great division and hatred and riot and, and storming presidential uh, residences. Where was that? In Sri Lanka. We see, we see great hatred for one another. This is all satanic scheme. So fill it in here. We must fight our selfish flesh. We must fight our worldly culture. And we must fight satanic schemes against this. We must protect our greatest witness. And what is our greatest witness is our genuine love for one another. What is more important than 
Any other thing that we could do in evangelism, I'm not, I, we, we need to evangelize. We are called to go and tell. But let me tell you, if we don't love each other, then all of our evangelizing betrays, our, our lack of love for one another, one another betrays the truth that we are professing. When we love one another, the world looks at us and says, boy, those people are different. Why are they like that? When they come into our midst and they see us care for one another, when they see us pay each other's mortgages, when they see us across racial lines and across economic lines and across political lines, I mean, one of the guys that spoke this morning um, is a staunch Republican in business in partnership with who was an extremely liberal Democrat. Joe and Victor used to go at it on Facebook, right here. I'd say, guys, stop it. <laughs> New York Democrat, Victor Carrera. And you know what? They deeply love one another. And they forgive one another. And they help one another. And they work together. This, this is the picture of something that's greater than all of these differences. I, I, I want you to see this verse. I'm, I'm not going to miss it. Circle John 13, 34, and 35, that reference there, and it's only going to be on the screen. I want you to see it on the screen. Look what he says here, and this is so powerful and good. I, I, I don't care what time it is. Look at it. Okay, look. <laughs> the internet messed us up, so here we go. A, John 13, 34, look what it says. A new commandment I give to you, Jesus speaking, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. You say, wait a minute, that's a new commandment? I thought Second John says it's not a new commandment. Okay, well, just hold on. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, what does it say there? If you have love for one another. Now, in 1 John, it says this is not a new commandment. It's one that you've heard from the beginning. The, here's, here's how we reconcile this perfectly, and you're, I think you're going to think this is really cool. Look at this in Deuteronomy, up there on your page, and in Leviticus, it's saying love God and love others. But what does it say in Leviticus 19? Well, how does it say that you're supposed to love one another? You shall love your neighbor, what? As yourself. So all along, this has been the statement of love, love, love God, love the people around you. When Jesus says in John 13, a new commandment I'm giving to you, here's what he's doing. You, you look at Jesus' life, you look at Jesus' teaching, he's always upping the ante. He says, you say don't lust, uh, I, or you say don't have commit adultery, I say don't lust. You say don't murder, I say don't hate. And here he's saying, the law said, love your neighbor as yourself. New commandment. Love your neighbor as I have loved you. How have I loved you? Laid down my life on a cross let nails be driven through my feet and hands, creator of the universe, held up, slammed down in the socket of the cross, the jarring weight of the world upon his hands and his feet, and he dies for us. So the new commandment is, is don't love your neighbor as yourself any longer. Love your neighbor like I have loved you and have sacrificed. 
Isn't that powerful? Number four, we must, walk, we must fight to walk in love. Number five, we must work to walk in love. Serve, serve in our homes, in our church. Pull our weight, share the load, help build and protect. You know the reason a lot of homes get torn up is because people inside the home, they don't build it, they tear it down. They don't protect it, they attack it. And that's exactly what happens in churches. When people do not work together to build a church, there's other people that sit around and they're just, they're just always criticizing. They're always looking for the differences of opinion. They're always looking for the other way. They're always looking for the weaknesses. And they can just point them all out. A guy showed up one time, he said, Pastor, I'm new here and I, I really like this church, it's great. Um, I, I'd love to get together with you and sit down and talk. I, I just wanna share with you the things that I've noticed that, you know, that could be better. I've been given the gift of criticism. I said, man, don't let the door hit you where the Lord splits you because I'm not interested in all of your criticism. That is insane. If you just run around want to talk about all everybody's weaknesses and all the weaknesses that you see in your wife or all the weaknesses that you see in your husband or your parents or your, or your children or your church, it'll, they'll never be who they can be. We must love one another, forgive one another, grow and work and protect one another. How about this one? Under, under number five, return to regular, generous, humble hospitality in our homes. The world knows very little about regular, generous, humble hospitality in our homes. Most, quote unquote, hospitality in homes is a show off. I mean, when, you know, it's, I mean, I've seen it before in neighborhoods. You know, the family that always has to have five different huge bounce, nothing wrong with a bounce house every now and then, but you know, if every time you have everybody over, it's five huge bounce houses, two DJs, and this and that, and everything else, and it's a big blowout every single time. That's not humble, generous hospitality. That very often is a show off. You know what we see in the New Testament? They're going from house to house, breaking bread together, praying for one another, sharing one another's burdens, helping one another. When we're asking you to have people into your home or into your apartment, we're asking you to be real in fellowship and in koinonia with one another. We're not asking you to go show off anything. We're just asking you to, I mean, if, if you're poor, have them over, have them in, let them, you know, just love them as best you can. If you're wealthy, just love them as best you can. This attitude and mindset of humility and love for one another can overcome every different divide. This is what we see true love is. And it's hard work. Number six, we close with this one. Comes from 2 Peter. 
We must grow in grace to walk in love. Would you stand together with me? We must grow in grace to walk in love. And I want you to stand and notice this passage of Scripture. After everyone's standing, I want us to read this. I want you to see this. If we are going to walk in love for one another, we must grow in God's grace. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17. Look what it says. You, therefore, beloved, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. These are the last words of Peter. These are the last words that he writes. Look what he says. Take care that you're not you're not in error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Look at verse 18. What does it say? But grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. May we grow in grace. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how rich it is, how real it is, how true it is. We thank you for how liberating it is. Lord, we thank you for how convicting it is. Thank you that it shines light into our hearts. Lord, I I know that in some ways every heart here has been challenged with, do I love people the way God has called me to love people? Do I walk in the truth the way God has called me to walk in the truth? Commanded me. Lord, I pray tonight or this morning that you would cause us to look deeply into our own lives and to evaluate our own lives. Am I building a life of love? based upon your word? Do I care whether or not people are going to heaven or hell? Am I learning to say to them, a savior has died for you. You can know him. He'll forgive you. He'll change you. He'll help you. He'll take you to heaven when you die. Lord, I pray that we would be a true church. I pray that we would be true Christian families. I pray that our homes would not be filled with the filth of the world, the values of the world, but Lord, that we would spend time with our children when they go to bed at night, that we would pray with them, that we would teach them the Word of God, that we would teach them by the way we live, by the way we treat our wife the way we respect and treat our husband. Husbands would lay down their lives for their wives and wives would respect and love their husband. Lord, I pray that we would be true Christians, that we would raise subsequent generations that cannot deny that what they've seen and heard is true. Lord, help us to walk in truth and in love this morning. 
In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to open your eyes. Close your eyes right now. Just want to say as part of this prayer, if you need to pray with someone this morning, on my left and on my right, I invite you to come and to pray with someone this morning. Maybe you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. This morning, I invite you to give your life to Christ. Or maybe there's an area of your life that you would just like someone to pray with you about. I just invite you to come and say, I just want prayer for this area of learning perhaps to love, learning to walk in the truth. Whatever your need is this morning, I invite you to come. Even as we sing, you can come and pray with someone here. Let's pray together. Let's sing together as we end our time.